As we go into March and leading into our Build a Business series, we wanted to start it off with a great event run by Gossip Girl to celebrate International Women's Day, where three founders of three very different businesses came together to talk about their journeys and share their insights. Um, Joy from Tech Pixies and Sarah, Smartworks Ready, and Joe from Scamp and Dude. And I think what I'd like to ask you to do is introduce yourself and what it is that your organisation does. Okay, so I'm Joy Foster. I'm founder of Tech Pixies. Um, Tech Pixies is all about helping women upskill with modern technology. I consider modern technology to be social media, uh, WordPress, MailChimp, those three things in particular. Um, and we help women go back to work, change careers, or start uh, a business. And it's all online courses. I'm Sarah. I'm founder and chair of Smartwatch Ready. Uh, lots of people that know us already here, which is fabulous. And we're based in Reading, covered the Thames Valley, and we help women get back into work, giving them styling advice, we dress them in interview clothing, and we give them one-on-one -on -one coaching, and then they go off and uh, get that job and move on with their lives. And I'm Jo, and I'm for the founder of Scamp and Dude, and we are a clothing brand available in Liberty, Selfridges, and John Lewis, and we're all about putting people with superpowers and giving them courage when they really need it. Fantastic. Um, so one thing that struck me, because I've done my homework, you'll be pleased to know. What do your homework? Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, not louder now. Um, so one of the things that struck me is that you each have a kind of value um, that's kind of at the core of what you do. So we spoke on the phone and you talked about Sparkle. So it'd be great to know what that kind of core value is that you have within your organisation and how you use that to propel you forwards. Yeah, so if you hang out with me too long, you'll start seeing stars. <laughs> um, I see them all the time. Um, but Sparkle is really our value set, and it's um, supportive, positive, authentic relationships with women who are keen to learn and want to be empowered. And a couple years ago, um, when we were thinking about the business and the next phase of the business, I got the team together and uh, we brought in someone to help us think about that, um, a guy named Mike Jennings. He wrote a really great book called Valuable. And he walked us through all of those things. And, and as I was saying to Tony yesterday, we didn't actually have the word sparkle or actually those particular words on the day that we worked with Mike, it actually came several weeks later as it kind of went through my head and I thought about it a lot. Um, but that value set for us uh, has really driven the way we speak to the women who come to our program, um, the way we speak on Instagram, the way we write our emails, the way our website runs, uh, and, and how we make decisions. Um, and in fact, we had, we had situations where even people within our organization might have accidentally acted a certain way that didn't fit the sparkle code and we've said you know hey that wasn't necessarily in line with the sparkle and then they get it right so we never have to do that anymore but just in the very beginning when we were establishing what that meant you know is how do we speak with someone if someone's really upset how do we be um, you know supportive and positive for them so that's been huge for us and um, and, and, and I think about it every single day yeah no good sir uh, so with SmartWorks, it is all about confidence and building self-belief, self-worth within an individual, whether that be with what they're wearing or um, what they think of themselves. So through coaching, we identify all their strengths and areas that they're not confident in and how they can get over it. And throughout the reason, 
I suppose the reason SmartWorks works and the, it has such a big impact is it's the practical, non-judgmental um, advice that we give them. And we don't, um, we don't judge them um, and we just listen to the story and listen to the story and try and identify the story behind the story um, that's got them to where they are and um, just help them move on and you can physically see the transformation in them as they're leaving, leaving the door with their new clothes that they're wearing and their confidence boost to go on and get that job. And um, it happens throughout all, I mean, all the people, the volunteers that are here and, and the supporters that are here. There's, there's the, that line, everybody wants to support each other. And the culture is really important, and it's always, I'm very proud to say, it's always very empowering in, when you come to SmartWorks. And I love Rachel volunteers for us, and she's always saying how it boosts her week when she comes in, um, because there's so many people just wanting to do positive things. Um, I think for me, the, at the heart of Scamp for Dude is all about helping women and children who are going through a really hard time. Um, if you don't know anything about Scamp and Dude, the whole reason we came about was because four years ago I was working in PR, um, I had a PR company, I was selling my shares in my PR company, I decided I wanted to do something different and it's, if you've ever had your own company and sold it, it's very stressful. And I ended up um, having a brain hemorrhage mm -hmm. and discovering I had a lump in my brain and I had to leave my children who were only three or one at the time for 10 days to have brain surgery, and I didn't know if I was going to come out or not. And during that time, once I came out and realised that I had another second, I got a second chance, I decided that whatever I did next was going to be helping people in some way. I didn't quite know how, but one thing I did think was my children didn't see me for 10 days, and like I said, they were one and three, and that's really hard for little kids to, it was really hard for me as well, but all I was worried about was them. And I came up with the idea of what I wished had been available to give them to comfort them. And they, I thought, I wish I could have given them a little superhero to watch over them. And imagine if it was like a snuggly superhero, they could have snuggled them on the back, if there was a pocket that I could have put my photo so I could have said, that mummy's still here, you might not see me, but I am still here. And that's, I thought of it and I thought, I'm going to make them. And then I thought, I'm going to make them and I'm going to donate one for everyone sold to a child who does lose their parents because I was worried about leaving my kids without a mum. And so it was like a little get well goal for me. It was like spurred me on to make them. And that's how Scamp and Do started. So the first idea was the Sleep Buddies, which are now my superhero Sleep Buddies. And we've donated over 1,700 of these now to kids who have either lost their mum or are very poorly themselves. And that's how it all started and then I decided I wanted to do clothing so when kids go to nursery and go to school my slogan as a superhero has my back so that's on the back of sweatshirts I'm thinking just sending kids off knowing they've got a superhero watching over them and everything's got a superpower button you can see on your sweatshirt on the side here it's a superpower button so kids can press it to get superpowers and um, so when I launched it was all about kids and making kids feel more confident and more secure and helping with separation anxiety, but three and a half years on, we launched three and a half years ago, this adult side of my business is growing so fast, and this is one of my dresses. Um, 
And it, it seems that actually adults want a superhero to watch over them too, and adults yeah. really love. And the relationships I've built with parents who are going through a really hard time with children that are poorly, and I launched Superstars, which are these leopard and lightning bolts, a superpower infused leopard, as you can see here. Um, I launched Superstars, which are for everyone sold, I donate one to a mother of a child with cancer, or a woman who's going through cancer, or any life threatening illness themselves. So. We have an email address, which is wecare at scampandew.com, and anyone can email and nominate anyone. It might be someone from their town they just found out is really ill, or, and I'll send them, we'll send them a scarf, and it's like a comfort blanket just to wrap them up and make them feel better. So that's what we're all about. <laughs> so lovely. I just want to say, this is the most comfortable sweatshirt I have ever bought. <laughs> so I knew I was going to be on stage with her, and so I thought, I, I love supporting women's businesses, and so I've I call. I messaged them yesterday. I said, "I want, I want the sweatshirt." And they literally overnighted it to me, and I put it on. And I was like, "I'm never. This is never coming off." <laughs> um, well, I was going to ask you, Joe, actually, how you turn something that is, um, you know, is a very uh, emotion-based decision. Then that's the kind of a moment where you think, "I have to do something differently." How did you turn that feeling into something that was commercially viable? Um, I think. The biggest thing for me was when I was facing the surgery and I didn't know if I was going to be okay, it's totally true what people say about those golden gates. You go there. You absolutely go there and you question everything you've done in your life and you think, okay, if this is the end, have I done enough? Have I... And for me, it was all about have I helped enough people? And I didn't even particularly... I had a great time working in PR. I had a great fun life. And I've always been a nice person. I know I've been mean or bad. Or, but for some reason, I had this horrible feeling in my tummy that I hadn't done enough good. And I, all I could really recall was doing a, a 10k run, which I walked on the other. Um, <laughs> I did race 2,000 pounds. That counts. <laughs> I tried. Um, and that's all I could think of. And I had this horrible feeling in my tummy of that uh, it might be too late for me to make that change now. And I think that having that deadline of going, oh my God, this might be it, and I've not done what I wanted to do, that was one massive thing that spurred me on. And I think the second thing that really spurred me on was. Um, being given a second chance. I was I had this fire in my belly now that I didn't have before that I just was like, I've, I've got another chance at life here, I'm just going to go for it. And I think if you've nearly lost your life, you then think, you don't see barriers anymore. And I think that's been in my favour a lot, is that I've not gone, I have no idea how to start a clothing line. I've gone, if other people can do it, I can do it, I'll find a way. And I've got this drive now, this fire that just goes, I can do it, I can do it, why not? And I think that's what stops a lot, it's a fear that stops a lot of people and actually, sod it, you, know, you can do it, if someone else can do it, why can't you? And I think that's, I think that's what did it really. Um, Sarah, uh, so SmartWorks Reading, not your only kind of career, so mm -hmm. you took a conscious decision to make a big change to help <laughs> others, did. what prompted that? To that. So I, I did, I suppose I've had sort of three careers, I would say. I actually started off as a nursery nurse in Reading, believe it or not. What goes around comes around. And uh, I, I did that and I realised, so I'm saying to Joy, I realised that um, I got to deputy manager and I couldn't earn enough to be an independent woman, own a house, own a car, didn't want much, but I wanted to be able to afford to support myself. Um, 
actually found finding a husband quite hard. So um, I thought it was either find a husband or find a, a different career. Um, finding a different career was much easier. Um, I'm glad to know I found a husband now. Um, all, is, all is well. But then I moved in and I started in admin and I literally, you'll love this, I hadn't even switched a computer on and I was in charge of a computer and managing all the training. And um, But it was my... I suppose my drive to want to make a change, to be able to support myself, that made me go, I can do it. They can teach me how to switch a computer on. And literally, I had a week's course with someone one-on-one. There's the on-off button. <laughs> Lovely. Um, and so I did that, and I was in that company for uh, many years, about 13 years, and I progressed up, and I ended up being head of uh, training services um, for three large teams. Uh, I worked with Tony uh, at some point in Microsoft Business Solutions. Um, who knew? The girl who couldn't switch a computer on. Um, and then I didn't like, I didn't actually fit, I didn't get a warm fuzzy feeling, sorry, from technical um, <laughs> training. And um, I love the people side, I love the training side, um, but I actually struggled. I did find the technical stuff, remembering things, um, technical, uh, quite difficult. And um, I actually moved to a company called SAS, uh, Statistical Analytical Software. Um, not the best move for me, and realised the culture was completely different, and it just didn't work. Uh, I was there for three years and then realised that it was affecting my health and my emotions, I was stressed um, and I just thought I've just got to leave and I think I've never known what I want to do when I grow up, I've always just fallen in, gone okay I'll do that and I've either been good at it or I haven't and um, I started volunteering at Smartworks in London and then thought, oh, this is quite nice, this is quite good, and, uh, but I don't like going into London, so how can I change that? And, I, and, and it was, sounds very sort of flippant, oh, well, I'll just set one up. But if I'd known, if I'd thought about it, I wouldn't have done it, because I would have had that fear of, well, I've never set up a business, I've never set up a charity, I don't know any of that. Um, so I went in and thought, yeah, I can do this. Can't be that hard. Um, and actually just used all the support of my friends, family, and everyone to get me through all the challenges. But it's amazing that the support you get if you ask for help. Yeah, that's great. Right. Um, and Joyce, so you've been like a... Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> How much does it cost to just buy you to follow me around with a mic? <laughs> very expensive, very expensive. Um, so you've been like serial entrepreneur, set up three businesses. So you, how do you go about setting something up and going from idea to making it happen? Yeah, um, I mean, I think first of all, Joe, your story really resonated with me. Um, I, I didn't lose my mother, but I lost my father, and he died when I was 21. And so for me, life was really short. And uh, he was only uh, in his early 60s. And it was a very tragic death. It was um, suicide as, uh, as a result of... Um, taking antidepressants to help depression following a heart surgery um, and then he got more depressed and he went back to the doctor 
And uh, the doctor said, oh, you're depressed, let's give you more antidepressants. And so they doubled this dose, and that was lethal for him. Uh, and it really changed my life. And, um, and losing a parent young, losing a parent at any age is hard, but at that age it was really hard. Um, but for me, I just thought, you know what, life's short, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop doing what I think I should do, which um, at the time was, I don't know, go into business. I was working at, a, um, at Bear Stearns, which no longer exists now. <laughs> um, and then I moved on to Schwab Capital Markets. And then I was like, what, what have I always wanted to do? And at the, in, in my heart of hearts, core of cores, I wanted to go to the Olympics. Um, and, you know, not everyone has that dream, but that was my dream. And so um, I quit my job and I started training full-time for the Olympics. And I like to say that that is my first career break. Um, and without really knowing it, it was kind of my first uh, dive into risk-taking, which then led me to doing other things. Um, what, was, what was your discipline? Archery. I was on the U.S. archery team from 2004 to 2007, and I lived at the Olympic Training Center in California. And interestingly enough, um, I, if you stand out on an archery range every single day for eight hours, going into an office for eight hours is like the kiss of death. So the very first corporate job I took after doing archery uh, was at Deloitte, and I lasted six months, and I was gone because I just couldn't handle it. I was not going to make it. Um, but I, my husband is an Olympic um, gold medalist, and we got engaged at Beijing Olympics, and we came back to, uh, I, I sold everything in California, and I moved to Switzerland, that's a whole other story. Um, but uh, I found myself married and pregnant and unable to get a job, because in Switzerland, uh, they don't hire pregnant women, full stop, and they really don't support women after they've had children either. So I thought, well, maybe I'm not the only one who doesn't know how to find an English-speaking pediatrician. and. Who knows, you know, what does Fasnacht stand for? What does that mean? What's a Käsekuche? I didn't know any of that. And I thought probably no one else knew that either. So I think that's a Käsekuche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know anything. And so I thought, well, I'll just translate. Like 99% of the websites in the area that we were living in Lucerne were in Swiss German. And Switzerdeutsch is very difficult to understand. And it's not even a written language. So everyone writes the words totally differently. And that makes it really tricky. So what I did was I just started translating the websites and answering questions that people had. And that went from 468 hits in the first year to, on a regular basis, over 138,000 hits annually, serving 5,000 people. And it turned into a community center and a biannual magazine and bilingual magazine. And we served our community um, in Switzerland, in Lucerne. And it's been going for 12 years now. Um, I have chills actually talking about it. I, I, I set it up really to help the community. I left it to the community. I never owned it. I never made um, any money from it. The money I took out of it was literally the money I put into it. Um, I gave up uh, five years of my life and blood, sweat, and hair um, <laughs> because I had um, so much stress that a patch of my hair actually fell out um, of my head. And my, my hairdresser person who came to my house to do my hair, she said, oh, you've got a bald spot on your head. And I said, no. And I was totally disgusted. Um, so, I start, so I started really making an effort to try and get a little bit more sleep. It's been a battle I've had for years. But then my first business was this blog. And what I learned was how to, how to build a website, how to, how to get that website on social media, how to drive traffic to it, and then how to drive and generate sponsorship from it, and then how to do a magazine, etc. And so, and run a team. I, I hired women who were in the local community. I gave them stipends. I didn't have enough money to pay them, so I just gave them stipends. I thought it was better to give them something than nothing if they were helping me. What's a stipend? St like, instead of paying someone, you know, 20 pounds an hour, I would say, I've got this project for you, and I'll give you a thousand francs. 
Uh, it probably was going to take them 200 hours to do, but it was, you know, otherwise it would have been voluntary, and I just thought it was important to give them money so that, that they were compensated somehow for their skills. And it was like part voluntary. Voluntary. It's like your first five hours are paid, and then the other 195 are voluntary. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, so Living in Lucerne is still going on today. It's a gorgeous organization, wonderful people, everything. And I'm really proud of that. Um, but when we moved to England, it was like, oh, I've got to start all over again. I tried to apply for jobs. No one would hire me. Um, they were like, you're overqualified. And I was like, I don't care. I want a job. And they said, there's not an opportunity for you. So um, a friend of my husband said, well, why don't you apply to Unlimited, which is a social enterprise support fund. So if you are trying to build a social enterprise, definitely go check them out. It's unlimited.org.uk, U-N-L-T-D.org.uk. And they have different level grants. They have 500 pound grants for you to try it and just do some market research. They have 5,000 pound grants to just get it off the ground. So that's what I got was a 5,000 pound grant and that paid for my business cards and my website and my logo. And I built a website helping, um, I built a company that helped charities get online at affordable rates. And we took teenagers who were at, long risk of, uh, at risk of long-term unemployment and employed them to build websites. And uh, if you've ever tried to build websites for charities and then employ teenagers with long-term risk of unemployment, that's a pretty tricky proposition. Uh, and I did really struggle um, to make it commercially viable. Uh, I did own the company at that point because I hadn't owned Living in Lucerne and I really wanted to own this one because I thought if I'm putting another five years of blood, sweat, and hair into this, I'm going to own it. And then I realized there wasn't much to own there. Um, but I knew we were changing lives. And it was when the mothers of those teenagers started saying to me, do you have a program for moms? Because I want to go back to work and I need these skills. That I thought, hang on, I might have something here. And so, I, uh, again, I think it's really important to realize if you're going to build something bigger than yourself, bigger than freelancing, bigger than you trading you for you know, time, time for money, you're going to have to find money somewhere to do it. And remember, I hadn't been earning in like 10 years, so I had no savings to start this other venture. So I called up a friend and I just said, I have this idea, do you know where I could get some money for it? And he said, actually, you'll never believe this, but a grant rolled across my desk this morning, why don't you apply for it? And that's when I applied for 16,000 pounds from the Government Equalities Office through the Better Broadband for Oxfordshire to launch TechPixies. And we had one goal five years ago, and that was to help 12 women upskill with technology and go back to work. And we did that, and the caveat for the grant was that I would become self-sustaining afterwards. And that is a whole other story that I won't go into now. But we are here five years later. We've raised 150,000 pounds from investors, all female investors, all who want to help take this vision across the UK uh, and potentially across the globe. Wow. That's awesome. Um, so International Women's Day is about each for equal and everyone supporting each other and I have seen you know, this drive to bring um, men into the conversation because you know, if it's good for everybody then it should be good for everybody. So I'm interested in how you bring uh, the men in your lives and communities into supporting you in your um, various projects. Maybe we could start with Jo. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my, um... My, my business is very female-led, everyone who works with me are a female, 98% of my customers are female. Um, I mean, my husband is amazing and amazing support, always has been. When I became ill, he left here, so he used to run an agency, and he left it and set up his own business so he could be around more, because that shook, him, shook his world. Before. 
Um, so, I mean, he, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't have done it without him. He's a huge support. But when it comes to men, I guess, with the rest of the business, it is, it is a very female-focused world, my world, I have to say. Have you found that getting the way of investment at all? Has it been a different experience I setting up? I didn't get investment because I sold my PR company. Ah. I had the money to invest that <laughs> myself. And yeah. then we've, I, so I've never needed to get investment. And I'm, I think because I had my um, issues with my old PR company when I'd had invest, I had people, I let people in. Mm. I'm kind of scared to let people in again. I'm like, no, no, I'll just do this myself. Um, so yeah, I haven't gone into that world yet. Okay. Oh, sounds like a good sounds like a good thing then. Yeah. How about yeah? How about you, Sarah? So I mean, SmartWorks is an all-female charity. We do have, and we were the first SmartWorks centre to have male interview coaches, um, which I think is important because you know men are out there in the world, and you are going to be interviewed by them. And you know, a lot of the women that we see will go into roles where it's not just female dominated. So um, it's important to have that perspective. Um, I mean, my husband helped me, you know, he, he did, well, everything. Can you put that rack up? How can you do that? <laughs> can you measure this? Can you carry this? Can you pick up that? You know, he, he supported me and I couldn't, you know, I, could, I couldn't have done it without him. You know, he helped me throughout all the challenges, talking things through, which I think is really important. Um, it's one of the things that we've we've come up against a couple of times as an all-female charity when we've gone to businesses where they've said, oh, but, you know, we might not be able to support you because, you know, you're all-female. So the men in our, that we employ, you know, what about them? And you think it's, we, for me, I think although we are all-female, it's, um, it's an inclusive challenge or problem that's out there that men are should be involved and will only progress and make changes happen if they are part of the conversation. And they've got a very important role. They're very, they are different to women, but they they have a role to play. And um, it, you know we have to sort of find a way of working together and finding out what the challenges are and helping men realise the daily challenges that we have as women in work, but equally um, what those changes and that progress means to the man's world, um, because we're all in it together. Um, so I think um, it is a challenge sometimes, and uh, I'd love a little bit more diversity in uh, smart work, so uh, you know, it'd be lovely to have you know, men uh, on the board, um, and, you know, because it should be a mixed thing, um, but we're not there yet. Okay. How about you, Joy? Um, so, we have had a few male tech fixies. That's the first thing I can say. Um, I've never said no to a man who's applied to the program. Not many dare. <laughs> it's very pink, and um, we do, our base color is, is dark blue, so I kind of you know, didn't make it all pink, but definitely pink is one of our big colors. Um, you know, from a personal perspective, there is 100% absolutely no way that I could be doing what I'm doing if my husband wasn't a good supporter. And I think 
Um, my husband's very unique and very rare, um, and in many, many ways. Um, but I, <laughs> he does have a gold medal from the Olympics. That makes him rare right there. Okay, so uh, no, but he is, he's very rare, and he's, um, but he, you know, he's always supported me. And I remember when we got engaged, I was trying to decide whether or not I should stick with archery. And, we, and I think he knew I didn't have a future in archery before I knew I didn't have a future in archery. And he just said on the train, you know, to Lucerne, he said, look, you know, if you keep doing archery, that's your prerogative. I'll support you, whatever you want to do. And it, it took me a long time to kind of finally let go of archery. And really, it was when I had my first child, my daughter, that I thought, okay, I can get over this archery thing. The baby's much cuter and a lot more fun to hang out with. But um, it, it, you know, I had so, like living in Lucerne was, it took everything out of me to build and I got obsessed with it. And he let me be obsessed with it. And he let me do that. And then I got obsessed with Made With Joy and he let me do that. And I got obsessed with Tech Pixies and he's let me do that. And I have to say, um, it has been difficult on the marriage. Um, I was thinking today though, because uh, does anyone listen to Holly Tucker's um, podcast, um, Conversations of Inspiration? Man, it's good. Um, and she interviewed the gal who uh, set up, is it Green and Blacks? Is that the chocolate? Yeah. yeah. Jo, um, her name is Joe as well. Yeah. Joe Fairley. Oh my gosh. And she talked about her husband and how they met and all this stuff. And I just thought, I get that. You know, um, just someone who supports you all the way. Such a great podcast, such a great um, conversation. But for me, you know, he, it has been difficult. Like, you know, I think, I think anyone built a business but as I was listening to that podcast I was thinking there was a point here I was thinking <laughs> that women entrepreneurs if you listen to their stories they very often talk about their supportive partners and their unique partners and how their um, husbands you know really did uh, went above and beyond for them I mean Rachel's husband's here taking pictures tonight you know that's, <laughs> that's what that's what their husbands did and if you listen to men talk about marriages. They don't because Elon Musk has five children and is divorced, right? And a lot of these guys, that's, you know, Michael Bloomberg running for president and he's just dropped out, divorced, right? I mean, probably the exception to the rule is Richard Branson. And I think, you know, I think there's something special and unique about the men who support women building businesses. And it's not easy at all. I mean, my husband and I had lots of different discussions about and very serious conversations and intense discussions about who was going to do laundry and who's going to do pickup and who's going to do the cooking. And, you know, and he stepped up and he does a lot of that. And in fact, we got to a place where it totally reversed and I was the guy that was gone all the time. And I was the guy who didn't come to bed when, I, when he did. And I was, you know, I was the one who didn't show up in the marriage. And it nearly broke the marriage. And we, you know, really had to face that. And um, I read The Five Love Languages by Dr. Gary Chapman. <laughs> Amen, sister. That one was so good. And, you know, and, and he's, he's a um, acts of service and I'm words of affirmation. And so I have had to do a lot of tea making and, you know, I have become deliciously, Ella is my best friend now. <laughs> I made a carrot cake yesterday. I'm so proud of myself. But, you know, um, I, you know, I've worked so hard to show him that I love him. And, and one of those ways is going to bed with him. And I think um, a lot of female entrepreneurs, um, you end up working between 8 p.m. and 2 a.m. because that's when no one bothers you. But that's not very good for your marriage. So I think the first thing we can do for the men in our lives is make sure they know that, that we love them as much as they love us 
and support them um, and make those sacrifices of going to bed. And ironically, actually, there's a thing called, um, I'm going to get it wrong, there's a, there's a Parkinson's Law. Do you know this? So you, you will work as many hours as you have available to work. So if you reduce the amount of time you have to work, you will sharpen up and work on the priorities and let go of the other things. So I spent six months cutting back on my, trying really hard to cut it back on my time, have hard stops to work, go, try and go to bed with my husband and do those things. Um, and, it's, you know, I'm always trying. It's not a perfect thing. But I think supporting, I think men are willing to help us and we need to be willing to, to let them help us. Um, there's great books like Fair Play and Let the Ball Drop. Both of those books talk about letting men step up and step into those roles that are traditionally held by women. And we should be letting them do that and encouraging them to do that. Great. That's fantastic. Love it. I think here, um, there was a guy who spoke at the Arise Sister Sister yeah. Summit recently. And at the end, and I didn't think, oh, God, I'm like closing it. But there was one he said which really stuck with me. And he's like, just tell us what you need. And it was like listening to my husband. He's like, for God's sake, would you just tell me what it is that you want? Because I'm going to go, oh, if I say it this way, if I say it that way, or what about this? And he just wants me to be bloody honest with him. So that, you know, made things happen a bit more quickly. Um, so I guess it would be lovely. I'm sure that you have questions that you'd like to ask our panellists. So if we can get the other mic to work, um, good to, it's on the floor. We just put it on the floor because we didn't know what to do with it. Even the techniques <laughs> But she could get it like 15 million followers on Instagram. Um, I might pass it. So, Mike uh, the mic. what questions do we have for our panel? Oh, yes, Maggie. Um, I don't think Ooh, I need a mic. I think it's worth it. Oh, really? Whenever I need a mic. <laughs> um, uh, speaking as an entrepreneur who has, doesn't have a partner, um, I just wonder, do you think that women are better, are we better at supporting men than they are at supporting us? And I guess I'm only really trying to make a shout out for all those female entrepreneurs that don't have a partner, don't have a man in their lives. Um, but do you think, do you think, you know, um, I'd just be interested to know what you thought about um, why we, if we are better at supporting our male partners, why is that? And is it true that we do? We've had 2,000 years of practice. <laughs> Four million years of practice. I mean, yeah, we're, we are better at it, but we've also held on to it for too long. I would semi-agree, because I think, I think, we neither sexes or genders have got it right. Um, you know, there's a lot of men that you were saying, you know, have ended up in divorce because they're not getting the support that is right for them at that time. Um, they might be getting support, but they might not be the right support, so they might be getting their meals and, and, and this, that, and the other, but they actually might need it in a different form uh, at a different time. So I think, I think we all need to address, and you have to help yourself and support yourself by <coughs> cutting down your hours, making sure that you're getting enough sleep, making sure that you put about more balance in your life. So I think it's it's more balance. My opinion is it's not it's not gender; it's about who that person is. So you can have rubbish men, you can have rubbish women. 
Um, I've had two husbands, one was not supportive even slightly, and um, my now husband is amazing and very supportive. So I think it's substantive nursing rather than uh, sex. Um, I'm in the very early stages of setting up a business, and I really don't have much of a clue of what I'm doing. Um, what, was, what was your biggest challenge in the early days, and how did you overcome it? Um, well, I think one of the things is finding, like for me, it's finding a manufacturer. That's really hard. Um, I, I, I think. A, one good thing you touched on podcasts. I think listening to podcasts is unbelievably helpful because you can hear other people's stories of how they got started. And I love, I literally am obsessed with podcasts. Um, yeah, for me, it was that. It was it was knowing all the kind of legalities that you need to do, like safety testing of clothing and um, trademarks and the legal side. But I think it's it's more of a kind of looking at it as Bit of a challenge is you've got to find all these things and try to think of it as it quite exciting to kind of to, and no, you think how people did this before we had the internet? What would you do without Google? Going, how would you do this? Um, so I think that's yeah, that's my thing. Mine is, is fairly similar, it, it is the process. I remember setting up the charity, we had to um, have a bank account to get the charity number, but you had to have money to open a bank account, but you couldn't get the money from a grant without a bank account. And I remember sitting thinking, can you not, not talk to each other? This, this is not helping in one iota. And it's understanding where to go to get the information and then putting it in some sort of order. And um, the, probably the biggest advice I could give myself is you can't actually do it all. And so, even though it looks like there's no way you can prioritise, you have to try and give yourself a pat on the back for what you do achieve, rather than saying, oh God, I didn't get that done today and it's midnight, I must carry on. You think, no, you can do it tomorrow. I wish I had your advice when I was starting out. <laughs> I didn't listen to it. Midnight? Oh, I'll do that. I got four more hours before anybody bothers me. Um, Right, so my first business, my biggest mistake was that I did all the finances out of my personal account. Anyone else done that? Do not do that. Okay, go set up a business account. Do all of your business expenses out of that business account. And if you don't like numbers, hire a bookkeeper. And that's your first hire because that was, I, I, I spent so many hours of my life doing the finances and I had no business doing them. So get someone to be your bookkeeper. They would love the money. They would love that job. Um, and don't do it out of your personal bank account. Uh, and then the second thing, in my second business, the thing that was the hardest was making it commercially viable. Um, it took me a long time to figure out I was running an agency and I had to charge agency rates and it was not a freelance company. So when you're charging, when you're invoicing a client out of an agency, you're charging two, three, four, five times per hour what it actually costs you to pay someone to do the work because you've got to pay for the rent for the office, you've got to pay for the computers, you've got to pay for the accountant, the bookkeeper the you know that I loyally got immediately. That was my first hire in the second business. 
So I think, you know, definitely learn about, I mean, I was shocked, you guys, when I found out that when you buy clothes at the store, you're paying double the cost that the store bought the clothes for. I was shocked. I didn't, I didn't even know you could do that. And I, I didn't understand. I was like, oh, so it actually only costs like 10 pounds and I'm paying 40 pounds. Oh, okay, I get it now. So just understanding <laughs> the multiples, you know, and the profit is good. You know, I, it took me years to think profit was good. I thought profit was evil. I thought it was like the worst word in the world. It's like a dirty word. Um, and coming from America, capitalism, you know, all that. Um, when you come from America and you come into Europe, you know, you're kind of like a capitalist pig, right? So it was really difficult for me to kind of reconcile with the word profit. But you need profit because how else are you going to pay yourself? So then in my third business, I'd say the biggest challenge was finding customers. Um, how, do we, how do we find the people that we needed? And when we had that initial grant, we also had the backing of an email list of 80,000 people. So Oxfordshire County Council, because they sponsored us with the grant, they sent out an email to every resident in Oxfordshire saying, hey, why don't you come and do this course? And we had more applications than we could actually accept onto our initial program. As soon as we lost that 80,000 80, strong mailing list, I had no one. I was like literally crickets. And my second Tech Pixies program, I had three people sign up. And I actually paid them to be there. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. They paid 500 pounds to do the program. And then I said, at the end of the program, I'll hire you to work on some of my client accounts, and I'll pay you 600 pounds. So I literally paid them 100 pounds to sit there and do the job and do the course. So I, I, you know, finding your customer that was most difficult. And, and I think in the third business, which has been the one that has, you know, thrived the most, I think the reason it's thriving is because I... I knew it was scalable, and I knew I wasn't trading dollars for hours anymore, or pounds for hours anymore. I was building something that was bigger than myself. That's why it required investment. If you have a scalable business, then that's where you can, you can bring on investment if you don't have the money to do it yourself. You can bring on grants if you've got a social enterprise idea, things like that. But I didn't want to be a grant junkie, and I wanted to own the business, and I wanted to scale it. So those were all things that I thought about. But I definitely think um, finding your customer is really difficult. And... One of the best things you can do, there's a, there's a podca podcast, I love podcasts, there's a podcast by um, Amy Porterfield, who if you don't know Amy Porterfield, you 100% should know her because she is an absolute brilliant entrepreneur and also incredibly uh, talented when it comes to online <coughs> marketing, but she has a podcast called Online Make Marketing Made Easy, and she has an episode, I think it's 235, and it's about your ideal customer avatar, and it's actually going out and talking to people who you think would be your ideal customer and listening to them, and listening to the words that they use, and what they say, what their problem is. And when you talk to them, the idea you have for your business might be totally different after you talk to your ideal customer avatar, and she says, I have this problem, or I have that problem, or I have a totally different problem than you thought that they had. What's the thing that keeps them up at night? What's their biggest worry? How can you solve that worry for them in a way that's commercially viable? And that's exactly what we do at Tech Pixies. But I think, um, I think really getting to know her is really important. Know the words that she says. Um, tech Pixies often say before they come to the program, I feel like a tech dinosaur, right? I don't know how to turn on the computer. That's what they say. And they walk out total superstars because that's like a day of the past. So I think it's just knowing the language that they use and really understanding. But I'd say don't do it out of your own personal bank account. Hire a bookkeeper. Um, know who your customer is, and really try and find a commercially viable model, and don't think profit is evil. And that's day one. Any <laughs> more questions? No? Okay. Uh, 
how are we for time, Rachel? Well, I think we're about hitting about nine o'clock. Oh, are yeah. we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Oh, we don't actually use, well, actually, we can stay here all night. We aim to leave at about half nine, quarter to ten. So please do stay. Um, I'm going to get some more drinks out of my fridge because I think I've had everything chilling down. But um, yeah, stay and have a drink. And thank you so much for coming. And thank you, panel. You were great. It's brilliant listening to all of your stories. Thank you.